to be in the house of the Lord tonight. Boy, I sense the old time revival spirit, don't you? Camp meeting spirit. Boy, we need that. We're just about gone from that in this day and time. But I appreciate the Lord helping us tonight in the service. Good to see this great crowd with us tonight in the house of the Lord. If I start recognizing friends, I'd miss some. But I do appreciate Craftsman for Christ being here. Isn't that a blessing? And for what they do for the Lord and all of you churches, we may have as many as ten churches represented here tonight. That's a miracle. Hadn't even had a fight. What about that? You got ten churches and nobody's broke out in a fight. You're doing pretty good, boy. I look at it. And so good to have my brother here tonight, Kent Anderson. He's one of the deacons at True Way Baptist over in Westfield Community. How I many of you know where that's at? I appreciate him so much being here tonight. And all of you, such a joy to be with Pastor Cook and the dear people here at Shining Light. I want you to look in your Bible tonight, Jeremiah chapter 18, something the Lord has really burdened my heart about for the last few days. And I've never looked at it quite like we're going to look at it tonight, but you pray the Lord will help us and open to us the Scripture that we can understand and that we can benefit from what thus saith the Lord. I just believe tonight, if we're hungry, if we're thirsty, I believe God will feed us tonight. I really believe that. Jeremiah chapter 18, verse number 1 down through verse number 6. Let's look what the Bible said. The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house, And there I will cause thee to hear my words. Then I went down to the potter's house, and behold, he wrought a work on the wheels. And the vessel that he had made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. So he made it again another vessel, as seemed good to the potter to make it. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, O house of Israel, cannot I do with you as this potter, saith the Lord? Behold, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are ye in mine hand, O house of Israel. Let us pray. Father, we are grateful tonight to be once again in the house of the Lord. I thank you for the great crowd that's come. I thank you, Lord, for the young ladies who have blessed us tonight with these great songs and encouraged our hearts. Lord, I thank you for the happy spirit among your people. And Lord, tonight, now, we've enjoyed a good song service and good fellowship, seeing old friends and family here tonight. But Lord, now we've opened the book of God, and we certainly do need help. If you don't help us, Lord, we'll be in trouble. Lord, we ask you to do what men cannot do in this service. In Jesus Christ's name I pray, amen. I'm sure everybody here, if you've been in church any length of time, you've heard a sermon, a lesson, a reference, maybe read an article about the verses I read. How that God describes and illustrates with the potter and the clay down at the potter's house. 
I'm so glad tonight that I know the potter. I'm glad he's a good potter. And I'm glad he knows the way I take. And he's never lost track of any of his children. So much could be said in this text. But I want you to look at it just a moment. As you look in verse number 2, God told the prophet Jeremiah, He said, I want you to get up and I want you to go down to the potter's house. And look what he said is going to happen when you get there. When you go in the potter's house, here's what's going to happen to you, Jeremiah. He says, And there I will cause thee to hear my words. When you get to the potter's house, there's going to be things going on in there that's going to cause you to hear my words. And I would like to encourage every man of God here tonight, never be afraid to preach with illustration. Because God told the prophet, when you get into the house of the potter, there's going to be a great illustration. There's going to be something going on. And you're going to hear my words, you're going to hear my voice through the illustration that you get down at the potter's house. I don't know about you tonight, but I'd like to take a little trip to the potter's house as we enter the service this evening. The prophet Jeremiah heads that way. I can see him as he goes down. The potter's house, in most cases, was down by the river down by where the potter would go out and scoop up that old clay from the river's bank. He'd have a little house, a place there where he would work. Can I say the potter's house is a picture of God's house? And I'm so glad tonight that at the potter's house, thank God the clay is still being brought in and God is still doing a mighty, mighty work there. As we look at the potter's house, as we approach the door, we can hear the jingle and squeak as we open the door of the potter's house. How many of you are ready to go inside? As we step in the potter's house, I believe the first thing we experience would be the smell of that clay. Y'all are country people, hillbillies, mountain people like myself. We all know the smell of fresh clay. When you walk into that house, Kent, there's that aroma of the smell of that clay. You don't get far inside the door and the door shuts behind you and you begin to feel the warmth and the heat from that kiln. You see, that kiln is where those vessels go and they're heated up and they're literally baked to perfection. And I'm glad tonight that God knows how much heat and He knows how much time. You see, sometimes we as the vessel get to thinking it's getting too hot. But I'm glad God controls the thermometer. Sometimes we as vessels think we've been in this fire too long. But I'm glad that God controls the clock. And if the potter is controlling the temperature, and if the potter is controlling the clock, I don't think we got a thing to worry about. We smell the fresh clay. We feel the heat from the kiln. We began to look around and on the shelves, my beautiful, glossy, shiny, colorful vessels 
that have been complete. They've been through the fire. And they've come out of the fire. And guess what they're getting ready to do? They're getting ready to go out and to be used by the potter. Tonight, if all we ever do is just come to the house of God and sit on a pew and we never get fired and we never get glossed and we never get cleaned up and we never go out, we're not accomplishing the work that God has for us to do. Are y'all with me? You see all these beautiful vessels. Then you look over here and you see the wheel. One of the most visible places in the potter's house. It's the wheel where that clay finds its place. And it's on that wheel where the potter's hands take hold of that clay. And I want to say tonight, I'm not ashamed that the good master, the good potter, has his hands on the Christian. Friend, tonight I know the devil would love to get his hands on you and the world would love to get their hands on you. But hey, you just stay close to the potter. You just stay on the wheel and you let his hands work in your life. By the wheel we see a basin of water. It's a picture of the Word of God. As that wheel spins, can you see it spinning? The potter will reach over in that water. He'll use that water as that wheel spins and he'll make that vessel. And can I say that God wants to make an honorable vessel out of everybody in this house of God tonight. God didn't throw the clay away. I'm glad that God has a plan. The Bible said he wrought a work. That simply means that God had a plan and God has a purpose and God has a business. You know what God's business is? God's business is saving lives. God's business is transforming lives. If you're here tonight without the Savior, I want to tell you that God is still on the throne and God is still interested in the souls of men. To hear a lot of people tell they'd say God's gone out of business but God's not gone out of business he's still high and lifted up church he's still on the throne thank God he's the good potter I'm glad to be the clay and thank God for the privilege to be at the potter's house for a little while we see the wheel but you know all that all those items are great but they all become unimportant, Brother Venable, without the presence of the potter. And I'm telling you, I see an epidemic on our hands. Now, I don't preach in Methodist churches. I wouldn't say that I wantin', but I just don't get invited. I don't preach in Presbyterians or Catholics. Not that I wantin', I just don't get invited. But I do get invited to a lot of Baptist churches, independent Baptist churches, and I'm afraid we're going to the potter's house, and there's the wheel, and there's the water, and there's the clay, and there's the finished vessels, and there's the kiln, and there's the heat, but there's no potter. Now, brother, if you ain't got the potter, you ain't got nothing. It's all about the potter tonight. I'm telling you, the hero for us tonight is not some ball player. 
It's not some politician. It's not some movie star. The hero for us tonight is the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't ever want to go to the potter's house and find all the furniture and all the fixings and all the surroundings that should be there. Brother, we got it all, don't we? We got heated buildings. We got electricity and padded pews. We got screens on the walls and high-tech PA equipment. We got everything going. But brother, we'd be better off out yonder in a storefront shack somewhere and have the presence of the potter without the potter, all of our finery and all of our fixings and all of our beauty, it's all worthless without the potter. I believe the potter's in his house tonight here at Shining Light Baptist Church. I noticed something in verse 3 that I can't get away from as I'm just reading my Bible that I never saw before. The Bible said... Then I went down to the potter's house, and behold, he wrought a work on the wheels. I never saw that wheel in the plural. As you visualize that wheel tonight, what you saw was one. But God said in the potter's house, there's wheels. He said, there's a work that's wrought on the wheels. Does that mean there's two setups? No, that's not what it means at all. Because in the primitive potter's wheel, here's where we're going tonight, beneath that wheel that everybody can see, beneath that wheel that's visible from everywhere in the potter's house, there's an axle going down. And that axle is connected to another wheel on the bottom. You see, the top wheel is visible. You see the hands of the potter. You see the clay. And what a beautiful sight it is. But friends, there's a hidden wheel in this matter. And it's not the hands of the potter that work this part of the wheel. It's the feet of the potter. You see, that wheel on the bottom, you see, they had no electric motors and they had no, no devices of any kind that could keep this thing moving. So it was the potter's responsibility to take off his shoes and with bare feet, he would put on that bottom wheel, Brother Roger, and he'd get that wheel moving. And when that bottom wheel starts moving, that axle that attaches to the top, that's how you got the momentum of the top wheel. And can I say there's nothing going on on the top wheel unless something's going on on the bottom wheel. I want to preach a few minutes tonight. I'll look at both wheels as we go. But I want to major tonight on this subject, the hidden wheel. The wheel that you don't see in the potter's house. You say, preacher, I don't get it. Well, if we're using tonight the sinner, how that God reached farther down than we could reach up. How many of you remember when you was in that horrible pit? You were in that miry clay. And here comes God, scooped you out. 
and tuck you to his house and put you on the wheel. You know, that's what we call conversion. That's what we call a convert, that person that God has rescued from the muck and mire of sin and brought them to the house and put them on the wheel. But you know something in every conversion? There's something going on beneath that wheel. And it's called conviction. You see, you don't ever have true conversion on the top wheel unless there's conviction on the bottom wheel. I know that's old-fashioned for a lot of people. But I'm telling you, we filled our churches with people that's never been converted. They may go to the house, but they've never been converted. You can't be a convert until you've been a convict. And friends, we that are saved by the grace of God, we are ex-cons. Amen. Why not tell them at work tomorrow? I was in a church house full of ex-cons because that's what we were. When the Lord saved us, he brought us under conviction and thus brought us to conversion. You see, this day of just pray a prayer and sign up and join up and get baptized. Brother, all that might look impressive and that may fill buildings and that may impress people. But brother, if there's no conviction of the Holy Ghost of God, there'll be no conversion. And that's why our churches are in such a mess. We got people at the house, but they've never been convicted and they've never been converted. Amen. Amen. When I was just a young man, I remember at the True Way Baptist Church where my brother Kent here tonight is an active deacon now. When I was young, I remember, and, brother, and my brother Kent was one of the teachers that taught what we had back there, the new converts class. Now that's just about terminology that's not even used anymore. Because how can you have a new converts class when you got people, all they've done is come to the house and they've really never come under conviction and they've really never been converted. You see, that word converted is a biblical term. It's a biblical word. And friend, if there's never been a conversion in your life, you can join every church in the county. You can get baptized in every pool that they got. But friend, without conviction, there's no conversion. You see, salvation is by the Holy Spirit. And guess what, friends? You don't get saved anymore without the Holy Spirit as you could get saved without Jesus. Jesus. You can't get saved anymore without the Holy Spirit as you could without God the Father. You see, I believe the Trinity and I believe all are active when a person gets saved by the grace of God. God sent Jesus. Jesus died on the cross and the Holy Ghost bids us come and brings us to the conviction of our sin and the conversion of our lives. Now this is old-fashioned. But John 6, says, No man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him. Draw him. we got to get back to preaching this. 
we got to teach our children coming on that there's going to come a day that they're going to get a call from within. Not a call from without. With psychology and, and words and speeches, a preacher can get people to come with a call from without. But the call from without is worthless unless there's a call from within. And I remember when I got saved and my heart was about to beat out of my chest and I was brought under conviction and when you get under conviction you don't have your eyes on hypocrites in the church and you don't have your eyes on phony people. I tell you, if you ever get under conviction, there's one fella that you've got your eyes on and that's that fella you see in the mirror. He's the culprit. He's the criminal. He's the sinner. He's the one that needs converting. And if you ever get under conviction just right, then it'll be the day that you realize that you're a sinner. And it becomes very real to you. Yes, on that wheel. Oh my, what a beautiful picture. A convert, a conversion, one that God dug out of the muck and mire of that old river bank, dirty, filthy, looks worthless, looks hopeless. And before we got saved, friend, that was our look, worthless and hopeless. But thank God for the potter. Thank God that the potter reached farther down than we could reach up. You see, that beautiful conversion on that wheel is a result of the hidden wheel beneath. That work that goes on, Brother Jeff, on the inside. That work of the Holy Ghost conviction of God. Someone said, I'm not sure if I've ever been under conviction or not. You've not. Because if you've ever been under conviction, if a holy God ever gets a hold of your heart and lets you know that you're a sinner and you're guilty before God, you'll never forget that. Amen. You'll never forget that. You can come and pray and go down every Roman road and bypass in the Bible, but brother, without the conviction, there'll be no conversion. Amen. Amen. But on this wheel... We see the beautiful conversion, but it's preceded by conviction. Number two, as we look at the wheel tonight, as God is doing His work on this wheel, as God continues the work, you'll see the convert. They got the very great possibility of becoming a conqueror. You see, God has something for you beyond just you getting saved. He saved you, yes, to keep you out of hell. Thank God. Amen, amen, and amen forevermore. But God didn't just save you, Brother Rick, to keep you out of hell. God saved you. God saved me to make us more than conquerors through Him. You see, in the potter's house, and here's something we need to understand about the work of the church. And this would do everybody good to remember. Everybody at the house of God is kind of like all the different, different uh, places in the potter's house. 
You may have someone who's just come in, just got saved. They just got on the wheel. You may have somebody that's in the kiln. You may have somebody that's already the finished product and ready to go out and do something for God. So we need not try to judge everybody because everybody may be on different levels. But I'm glad the potter knows what level you're on and the potter's goal in working in your life and in mine is to make us conquerors in the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Now I've seen a lot of folks appear to be a conqueror. They appear that they're really going places with God. But then it have no longevity. In other words, it just don't last. And by the way, if this revival only lasts for you through the last night of the scheduled meeting, you've not had revival at all. If revival really works in your heart and God begins to do that work in you, that conquering work, that work where God can raise you up and magnify you for His glory, it'll live long past these days of meeting. You see, the wheel, there's a conqueror, but that axle is hooked to a bottom wheel. It's hidden and it's called consecration. It's a work that God works in every life of every believer to make them more than conquerors. You see, this thing of living for God, it's either He's Lord of all or He's not Lord at all. You see, He don't play second place to anybody. He's a jealous God. And did you know one of His names is Jealous? Capital J. One of God's names is Jealous. I never forget, you know, the Jehovah's Witness group out here running around, Brother Venable, they're so confused. They think God's only got one name. One came up to me one day and said, I have you know I'm Jehovah's Witness. I said, good to meet you. I'm Jealous' Witness. They said, What? I said, another one of his names is Jealous, so I'm Jealous' witness. You see, God has a lot of names. And God is a jealous God. And God's not going to play games with us tonight. You see, we've got to come to a place. I've never saw one person that really was a conqueror, that really was a conqueror on God's wheel, that did not have a real work of consecration, going on in their heart prior to that. When me and my wife first really got to, got to hungering and thirsting for God, we were just young, we were just newlyweds, and we started going out, and there was a lot of good revivals in this part of the country back in those days. I remember going to a seven-week revival at Thruway Baptist Church. Red Kirby was the pastor. He's in heaven now. That's the kind of stuff I got in on. I remember Emmanuel Baptist Church in Mount Airy, North Carolina, where Junior Dawson was the pastor. We, man, they had a nine-week revival. I was just young. I was just young and young married and freshly called to preach. And I kind of got baptized in all that. I'll tell you, I got in all that. I got on the tail end of something real good. 
Brother Sammy Allen was running this country back then. He was in his mid-late 40s. I mean preaching like a wild man. Preaching on spirit-filled living. I didn't know what that was. Uh, preaching about consecration, separated living, uh, burning the bridges, going for God, laying aside every weight and sin. I'll never get over that. I remember one night at the Emmanuel Baptist Church that thing had been going now for weeks and it went on for nine weeks and I remember one night he gave the invitation. I didn't stop at the altar. I didn't stop at the choir. I went all the way to the back row of the choir. I crawled up under that pew. I don't know how long I stayed there but I tell you one thing, the wheel was turning. I said the wheel was turning. Nobody saw me and I didn't see nobody but there was a wheel of consecration uh, that was a turning in my life. I didn't. I wasn't under that pew saying, oh Lord, how close to the world can I run and still have what you want me to have? That's not the way you talk to God. When you start talking to God and that hidden wheel of consecration uh, starts turning, guess what happens? The things of this world become strangely dim in the light of His glory and His grace. Willing to give up anything. Willing to do anything. Willing to go anywhere if God should bid me go. Tonight, there's some of you, you've let things get between you and the Lord. You've let things hinder the consecrating work in your life. So I don't know about that consecration. Remember when Moses came off Mount Sinai with Joshua? He'd been gone 40 days. When he got back, Brother Venable, the whole crowd was dancing naked around a gold calf. Now boy, that's some real stability, isn't it? The man of God gone 40 days. And they done made an idol. What about that? They done made an idol. And they're worshiping that calf. And they said, this calf, or these be the gods that brought us out of Egypt. Boy, is that a sad picture. But you know what Moses told that crowd? He said, consecrate yourselves today. You see the word consecrate, it's a big old word, but it just simply means this. It means to open your hand to God. Slide your hand up in the hand of God for His direction and His power in your life. There's some of you, you have no clue what God wants you to do. You have no clue of the direction that God wants you to go. Moses had it right. We need to get on that wheel of consecration because it's there that God will make us more than conquerors. 1 John 4, 4 says this, Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is He that's in you than he that's in the world. 1 John 5, 3, And whatsoever's born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. And I'm not going to be unkind, and I'm not going to try to be hard on nobody. But we've got a lot of churches here tonight, but you look at your congregation. Just look at them. Be honest. Just be honest. Honest assessment. We've got a high percentage of people that come to the potter's house when the doors are open. 
But friend, there's no consecrating work. And there's no victory over the world. They're not conquerors. When they walk in the church, you don't, you don't stay around them very long until you realize the world has conquered them instead of them having conquered the world. I got to a place in my life where I wanted to sing that song and mean it that says, Nothing between my soul and the Savior. Nothing between. Keep the way clean. Let nothing between. You see how quiet it's got right there? You see, we're at the potter's house. We got everything that you could ask for tonight. But I'm going to tell you something. There's a hidden will. And if we're going to be overcomers and we're going to be victorious and we're going to have the real touch and power of God in our lives, we're going to have to be willing to let the potter do that work on the hidden wheel. And it may seem painful and it may seem like you're losing and it may seem like you're giving up something. But I've never lost anything. I've never given up anything that was worth having compared to what God has for us in a consecrated walk with Him. I want to just close with this thought tonight. This conquering work, this consecrating work, takes us to a capable work, and that is a craving heart for the things of God. I want to tell you something tonight. I feel like I've been around in our generation some of the most powerful Christians. Not all of them were preachers. Some of them were just dear laymen in the church. Some of them were dear ladies at the church. I'm talking about people that really possessed power. And I've never yet met one that really had that power that really were displaying the capability on that top wheel that did not have a real craving, a hungering and thirsting after God. You see, that's something that we are really missing. People come to the church, and we've got several pastors here, and my heart goes out to you men of God, because there's a lot of times, fellas, And I've been right where you are, and I know where you are. You've worked and strived and studied and prayed, and you have provided a wonderful meal. And then folk come in with absolute no appetite, no hunger, no thirst for what God has brought on your table. I tell you what's wrong with us. It's the same reason you didn't let your young'uns before dinner time eat a bunch of candy and a bunch of donuts and a bunch of pie and a bunch of cake and a bunch of banana pudding because all those junk foods, all those sweets destroy the appetite for the good. And I'm afraid, Brother Jeff, we got people rolling in the house of God with their Bible in their hand, but they're, full, they're so full of junk. They're so full of junk, the pastor don't have a chance to get them fed because they're already full when they come to the house of God. Jesus said this now, Matthew 5, 6, Blessed are they which do hunger 
and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. You see, do hunger. Do hunger. That is an ongoing hunger. You won't hear me preach much without mentioning my dad. I mentioned him yesterday. And Kent, my brother here tonight, would testify to this. Dad lived with me and Juanita for the last five months of his life. and Kent would come and help us. and My sister would come some. and We just took on the responsibility. And, and I told you yesterday he had all that bad arthritis, rheumatoid arthritis. His knuckles would make you hurt just looking at him. Man, he was so messed up with that rheumatoid arthritis. He'd go get these shots these prednisone shots and cortisone, and then he would take this prednisone and different, different things for his breathing. And you know, it had a side effect. Dad was not a large man, but when he got on all them medications for his breathing and for his arthritis, you can ask my brother here, he just gained a bunch of weight. But that was not his natural, normal size. But you know why Dad gained so much weight? There was something about that cortisone, that prednisone. There was something about those steroids that made him always hungry. He was always hungry. Juanita would fix him a nice meal. I mean, just a wonderful meal. And she'd fix him more than enough. She didn't want him to ever not have enough to eat. And my, he'd eat that meal and he would be so thankful. But she wouldn't hardly have the dishes in the dishwasher until we heard plastic crinkling because down the sides of his electric recliner, he had nabs, cookies, and crackers, and everything else. She's in there washing dishes and he's already pulling out cookies and crackers. He said, well, she didn't feed him good. No, she fed him plenty. But he just couldn't seem to ever get full. He was always hungry. And I wonder tonight, do we need a spiritual cortisone or prednisone shot? Do we need something? We need something because we're not always hungry. Just be honest, we're rarely hungry because we're full of everything that this world has to offer. You see, there's a hidden wheel. There's a hidden wheel. And the reason we're not seeing much on the top wheel it's because the bottom wheel is not turning. On the top wheel, we see the bare hands of Jesus. Would I be right? On the bottom wheel, we see the bare foot, Brother Rick, of Jesus on the bottom wheel. I got to thinking about where would be some of the most visible, memorable images of Jesus bare hands and feet in the New Testament. Well, you see His hands in many places, and you do see His bare feet in some places. You remember when the disciples washed one another's feet? Do you remember when Mary Magdalene, she fell at His feet and washed His feet with her tears and wiped His feet with the hair of her head? You see some pictures of the bare feet of Jesus and the bare hands of Jesus but I don't believe there's a more vivid picture in any of our minds tonight of the bare hands and bare feet of Jesus 
than was on the cross. It's there that those hands are nailed. They're nailed. They're not moving. It's there those feet are nailed. They're not moving. They're not working a wheel. They're not turning anything. You see, the cross speaks of redemption. The cross speaks of forgiveness. But God don't want you to stop there. That's why we don't display in our Baptist churches what we call a crucifix. Because Jesus Christ is not on the cross. He was on the cross. That's why I'm forgiven. He was on the cross. That's why I'm redeemed. But brother, it don't stop at the cross. If it stopped at the cross, we're in trouble tonight. Because on the cross, His hands are not moving. On the cross, His feet are not moving. But thank God when He gave up the ghost and that chariot came over the hill and there comes Nicodemus and Joseph of Amarathea. They had begged the body of Jesus. They climbed up that bloody cross on either side. Guess what they did? They started disattaching those hands. They started disattaching those feet and brother, they're heading to the grave and we're heading to resurrection and we're heading to the real power of God I fear tonight that there's a lot of folk right here in this building that your problem is you still got Jesus on the cross his hands can't work in your life because you got his hands nailed down his feet are not turning that hidden wheel because you got his feet nailed down let's get the nails out of his hands Let's get the nails out of His feet. Let's thank God for redemption and forgiveness and the old rugged cross. But let's remember the cross is not the end. Brother, the resurrection is what we're after. And there's a number of you right here tonight. You have literally stopped the work of God in your own life by your unbelief. And by your lack of faith, consistency, and dedication to the cause of Christ. I want us all to stand tonight with heads bowed.